1: Hey everyone. Hope you're finding comfort in these crazy times. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, and today we continue our special series focused on businesses and their founders navigating the pandemic. And today we're in conversation with Alana Benari, a multiple award-winning design entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and founder of 21 Toys, that's the number 2-1 Toys, a company that's been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Bloomberg. Her invention, the empathy toy, was praised by Time Magazine as a technology reshaping the future. To date, Alana's company has brought the power of play into thousands of boardrooms and classrooms in countries all over the globe. And in this conversation, we discuss how 21 Toys has gone from a company running in person training and workshops all over the world to a radically different business model almost overnight, focused on all things digital, supported by a now fully remote team. We also discuss the importance of empathy, creativity, and resilience, how we're all trying to adapt to this quote unquote great pause and a lot more. And with that, here is my great chat with Alana Benari. What do you think you'll do after this? Do you think you'll go back into your old space? Or how are you thinking about co-working as a setup?
0: I think there's just, it's so interesting because I think I'm in two versions of startup communities. So There's some sort of communities that are very much focused on like when we get back to normal and then all of the, the parts of our business, both in the operations side and then what we deliver that can quote unquote go back to normal. And then I'm also part of entrepreneur communities that are on the opposite end of being quite radical and saying, we, we aren't going back to normal and there shouldn't be a, we shouldn't be going back to normal because normal, uh, Normal actually was the crisis. So what can we take away from this? So, mm-hmm. I think what I absolutely adore and love uh, about the Center for Social Innovation, and I would extend this to just the whole premise of co-working is that entrepreneurship can be so lonely. and this idea that you have a community of people that are, you know, sometimes struggling with the same type of business challenges, but beyond that, just um, this incredible community support. We run workshops with physical toys. So our empathy toy and our failure toy. So a huge part of our business is about people being in person and in groups. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that you would continue to, you know, be part of the Center for Social Innovation community, just that to me is my default. But I am so curious about what it actually looks like to go, quote unquote, back to normal. And I would say I think a lot of people don't want to go back to normal, they they want to go back to their communities, but I think there's going to be a lot more thoughtful like intentions around how we congregate, but also how we support each other.
1: Which side of the coin do you sit on with respect to those two startup communities?
0: I don't know. I think I live in both. A lot of the entrepreneurs I know it's like, okay, pivot, what are we doing next? And there's like this rush of adrenaline that is both, this, this is devastating, like I, all the things I was hoping for are now on pause or possibly over, but we're just gonna keep you know, pivoting and launching. And then last week, everyone just kind of took a bit of a dip in terms of energy. And we talked about how there's a grieving period. Like I think so many of us were thinking about 2020. I know for us, we were about to launch our next failure toy we were about to hire two full-time people. We're expanding globally. We're in over 52 countries. We're going to start launching training. Like We literally had just finished an accelerator about exporting into the UK and how we're going to start working with partners there. We'd already made two trips. And so I think the going back to normal side of it is I desperately still want to think that we can continue those relationships and we can continue the momentum of what 2020 was supposed to be. So I think the part of me that wants to go back to normal is the part of me that I think is also just dealing with the grief of that might not happen. But then on the other end, the entrepreneur in me, the human in me loves this idea that we're being forced into this, what they're calling like the great pause, to really reevaluate what is the value that I'm providing in what I'm offering and what I'm building? What do I need to let go of? And what are new things that can, that we can reimagine and reinvent? Because I am definitely in the camp of, we have been operating in a system that has not been sustainable. Like, we have limited resources. There are a lot of aspects of how we, you know, measure growth. There's this like obsession with growth. And like GDP is how we look at what success looks like. And as a designer, I'm essentially like this, this is a design challenge. <laughs> this isn't designed right. So we need to essentially create a new brief.
1: So when you map out a new strategy for your business going forward, do you have different Mm -hmm. strategic plans for, say, ideal world, quote unquote, next best case scenario and worst case scenario? Mm -hmm. How do you strategically think about it?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So we manufacture toys that teach skills like empathy and failure. And the way that that works is that uh, teachers or facilitators can purchase our toys and then use them with either within their classroom or within their like professional development workshops that they're leading. The other part of our business is that we can also run our own workshops with the toys that we've designed and developed, which means that if uh, a company, let's say, wants to have a workshop on failure or empathy, they don't have to buy the toy and then take our training. they can just hire us and we can come in. All of that, Is under the umbrella that we are physically going places and people are physically in the same location. So that is not—I don't—I want to say, for lack of better words, that is on pause with the idea that we are still getting right now. Just, I'm just coming off of a meeting with my team where we have, you know, three different clients that said we very much want this. We're going to, you know, pre-order this, and our assumption is we can all be back together in, let's say, August or September or. December with the idea that we're like, look, we're going to be super flexible on dates. The interesting thing that's come out of this is we've essentially launched a new version of our offerings in the last two weeks, and we've already started getting bookings, which is our empathy toys specifically. We've run workshops with it online in the past. And so we have now gone back to something we've done a few years ago and said, A, Empathy, resilience, and creativity are exactly what we need right now. It seems to be the traits and like this the idea of emotional intelligence and team check ins are just as important right now as the nuts and bolts of, you know, what's our to do list, what needs to get done. So, my strategy and the way that we're operating is. Kind of the same way that I go through my design process, which is, do people have a need for what we're offering? Yes, we're starting to see, yes, absolutely. People, our clients are saying, hey, our teams are working remote now. We're really stressed out. We would love, you know, 30 minutes once a week or 60 minutes, whatever it looks like, to play a game with the team, but having it facilitate around the discussion around empathic communication while working remotely. And we've logistically been able to figure that out because we can still ship. We still have toys. So the tweak to our strategy and our business model is we are now sending five toy pieces in a blindfold to every participant in our workshop so that they can get that delivered to their home and they can have this physical toy that is in their house that they can play with and they're quite beautifully designed. But they play them together with the other people on their team when they're on a like a video conference call and we can facilitate that discussion.
1: Where are your toys produced and, and has this affected your supply chain at all?
0: I was just in China in October, finalizing our latest production. Run. So we have our inventory for the rest of the year. So it has not affected it because we just by chance got that order in. But right now I'd be working on the, we were supposed to start our mass production of the failure toy, literally like March, the week of March 9th, like we were negotiating and finalizing the first production run, we had to put it on pause, less because of the factory. They told us, look, instead of four weeks, it might be six or eight weeks. So they might be working, operating much slow, like slower. Um, it had more to do with there were just too many unknowns for us to put in a huge order. So we're in the midst of reevaluating what the timeline could look like.
1: There are different camps now, it seems, as it relates to the future of offshoring the production of goods versus uh, bringing and back on shore but it sounds like you're not thinking you'll go that route
0: I don't think so I mean we have chosen we our production is very high it's we pay a premium um, because just it's so important for us the quality of the toys but also just we're not in like a bidding war necessarily with other factories we want to make sure that we're with good partners the reason we're able to do that is because we're not making like 10,000 or a hundred thousand units like they're made out of wood. So we're making a few thousand sets at a time. So we're the economies of scale that we might get from moving it, like not using something that's offshore. It's my long-term strategy has a lot more to do with continuing to only make, you know, a few thousand sets a year.
1: Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to go back to the online workshops for a sec. So, As it relates to the empathy toy, and I assume you'll do this also with the failure toy, but this new mode of working with your organizations or or companies remotely and the delivery of online workshops, do you find that this is something, this is a model that can scale? And were you thinking about this prior to COVID?
0: Yeah. So it's, I mean, so for the scale question, I would say it depends how you define scaling. But
1: I'll, I'll clarify quickly. So, <laughs> sure. so um, yeah, you mentioned you you manufacture, then you deliver the toys to, um, say, five people. They all get the toy physically in their home. They log on to say Zoom, uh, or some other platform, and then you facilitate, right? So, what would be the number, uh, that uh, of toys that you could ship to a team, and could you facilitate, say, a session with a hundred people?
0: Yes. So I would say to both, we've got amazing shipping rates, thanks to our, our partnership with UPS, and we have been shipping for a number of years now. So um, if someone were to suddenly order a number of toys, um, we should have, as long as we have the inventory, we shouldn't have a problem delivering that. And then for a session with 100, realistically, because we've we've got one of our clients has already requested that, what that would look like, and it's similar to our workshops as well, not everyone has to have a toy to participate. So there's a number of game variations and we've also done this uh, before it was going online because our toys, our toys don't cost $30. Like they're, they're a few hundred dollars. That's like the initial investment. And then it's a toy you can, you know, use. And we have like 52 different ways that you can use it. Um, And it's ages, like we like say it's ages six to CEO. So for a group of a hundred, we could have a handful of people that receive physical toys, but there's a lot of other things that, that participants can do. So at the highest level, the way that the empathy toy works, no matter the medium or where it is, is that one person is given these abstract wooden toy pieces that are identical to one or more people who have the physical toy pieces or an image of the toy pieces. And the whole goal of the game is that you only solve it when you understand each other. And so in five to 15 minutes of gameplay... You through giving directions into how to rebuild this shape, you gain huge insights into how you personally deal with patience, frustration, and how do you creatively communicate something that you can't see. Um, But then you also get insights into how the people that you're playing with navigate that. So every game ends up becoming a metaphor for a real life situation. So the way that it's then being Built online is we'll have one version. If everyone has a toy piece, let's say there's five or 10 people, you play it exactly the same way that you would play it if we were in person, except this time you're over Zoom. So instead of, let's say, being blindfolded when you're playing the game, we can turn off your video. We could also even turn off your audio, and suddenly you're using the chat window to describe how to rebuild something. And the parallels between that and what happens when you're working remotely are being really highlighted. And so the value of what the toys offer. And the debrief is the same, no matter if it's online or in person. This is what we're discovering just by running it the last few weeks is the same. It's that there's so many emotions and be, emotions that determine behaviors that can really impact your team dynamics. It can go really deep. But at the end of the day, it's also just really fun. And like the value of laughter and play is so important to build our emotional intelligence and our resilience right now that we've really, we've found it. I mean, the our director of training facilitation on our team is just like, every day. He's like, I found five new ways to play the toy <laughs> online. And so we've been um, prototyping them uh, throughout the week. Uh, and it's just been really interesting how many parallels we can use um, for just what happens when you're working remotely.
1: I'm just thinking the nature of how we we communicate and how we uh, work within teams. Like there's so much that you can read when you're in person. And that oh, yeah. is, doesn't always translate Online. And I just think we're all sort of, you know, this is new for a lot of us, but this idea of creating emotional intelligence remotely is, I think, a pretty profound idea.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could share very quickly. We've been playing it with our own team, which, exactly to your point, has just selfishly just been really good for us because in the past, we've been so busy with putting everyone on planes and trains to deliver our workshops. We haven't actually had an experience to play it as much with our own team. So, one nice thing that's come out of it is, we are prototyping it on ourselves right now. And uh, one of the most incredible insights that I've had on, for myself as a leader is, you know, I'm the design lead, but I'm also the CEO of the company. So I'm setting the direction and the vision. And right now it's like <laughs> every meeting we're having, it's we're really very quickly iterating, prototyping, reinventing. And my leadership style is very collaborative. So I very rarely do I say, this is what we're doing. Just, I don't want anyone's feedback. This is just what we're doing. This is how we're executing on it. I, I'm very collaborative. So I say, okay, here's, I bring the team in. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm, here are the questions I'm asking. What do you think? And we do a lot of back and forth. I tend to be a leader that's the blindfolded leader, but I'm getting the sense right now that my team would benefit from a bit more sighted leadership where I can see where we're going and I can give them more direct feedback so that. We're not spending, because it's it's a lot of work to go back and forth and get that consensus. And so while I, I'm i very much a collaborative leader, there is something to be said about the leader that can see the house is burning and goes, you're grabbing the fire hose, you're grabbing the ladder, the three of you, you're going in there. And so that's been one of the biggest insights for me, where just the shift in my leadership has had to to change a bit with kind of this new normal.
1: I want to ask you about the empathy, creativity, and resilience thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are three soft skills, let's say, that are more important now than ever, as you pointed out. And in the context of this new normal, how do you nurture each of these traits and why are these skills so critical right now?
0: The work that we're doing is we talk so much about like the future of work is human. um, And this idea that emotional intelligence and creativity are the number one job skills. So like the World Economic Forum said in 2015, that in five years from now, 2020, these are the top skills. Um, And that was, you know, (laughs) pre-COVID. And now with COVID, I think the way that I've heard it described is that right now, every business is a startup. So we have to design and innovate and iterate really quickly. But at the same time, we also have to honor the fact that our emotions are a little bit all over the place right now, and if you talk to any entrepreneur, that like roller coaster of emotions is a very unfortunately, or not fortunately, it's a really big part of entrepreneurship. The highs are high, the lows are low. You're now not the only one on your team that's dealing with that. Everyone on your team is a bit of a roller, is on a roller coaster right now, and so it's always been important to be aware of like getting like a pulse on where your team is at emotionally. But it's even more important right now because in terms of how, not just how you communicate, but just how much breathing room you give to your team and also how much agency you give them. So, you know, if I'd be having some days where I just have this insane amount of energy and I go, great, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to get a bunch of things done. And then other days I'm like, I am really struggling. This is really hard. And I think finding the balance as much as is, possible. Sometimes you just need to push through it, but sometimes you need to just, you know, forfeit the day and say, you know what, today's not working. I'm going to check in with my team and say, I'm going to log off. I need to go for a walk or I need to, you know, lie down. Um, but I'll be back up tomorrow. I think the most important thing for me, that's always been the case, but especially now is making the team know that they, as safe as a space as you can make it, that they can check in with you individually or the team at large just to let people know, like, hey, I actually don't have a lot of capacity right now. I'm really struggling. Communicating that is so important right now. And then if you extend that to just the creative process, creativity, and when we talk about creativity, we think of these like mad geniuses, you know, coming up with these brilliant ideas. The creative process involves a lot of rest, And the creative process involves a lot of reflection. And I think the same um, space and letting go that you need to kind of give to your own capacity and your team's capacity. You need to kind of give that space to the creative process of how you're iterating. When we talk about resilience, it's not just about continue like pushing forward and pushing forward. Resilience to me is having really strong emotion, like uh, awareness of your own emotions. So self-awareness, is one of the most important traits, if I believe, if you're gonna be a creative, a designer, a teammate, you know, a le- uh, a leader, a colleague, because you the more that you understand your own emotional capacity, and also just understanding that's part of the process of being like, I'm so excited about this idea, and then suddenly like, yeah, I need to go take a rest. That's going to give you, that's going, what's going to build that resilience, uh, and I think that's why, as a team, we've been able to pivot quite quickly, but we're also being very realistic. I'd like to think we're trying to become really realistic on what can we actually get done in a week, and is that okay?
1: Yeah, and I would say to that point, I think a lot of personality types are going to be challenged by what you call the great pause. And they're going to be sort of forced mm-hmm. into this box where they're going to be they're going to have their self-awareness challenged, let's say. And although they were comfortable operating in this mode prior to the mode that we're in, I think it's going to be difficult for a lot of leaders, uh, some more than others but difficult Mm -hmm. for some to adjust.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the foundation of building a business is trusting your team. And I think if you don't have trust, moving to remote can really highlight that because suddenly you may not trust the people are doing the work. Um, On top of that, when you're scared, so this idea of resilience, a lot of workshops around resilience talk about like the amygdala and like the lizard brain. So when you're coming from a place of fear, that part of your brain is activated, and suddenly everything is a crisis. You kind of shut down any sort of dreaming or optimism. Um, and it's an important survival tactic, but the way that that can manifest is that you are showing up to your remote team meetings, but you are so exhausted. You're emotionally exhausted, you're physically exhausted, and you're coming from, from a fear-based place. That can manifest into just being really short, being really angry, Um, you know, reacting to things like being quite reactive. And I think that's a hard thing to navigate on the best of days, let alone in these kind of circumstances. So giving people the benefit of the doubt and a lot of that breathing room is important, but also ideally letting them know that like, that's a very normal, like, yes, you're anxious and you're fearful right now. That's totally normal. (laughs) And that makes sense. But the self-awareness is so important.
1: How are you thinking about how this pandemic might impact the way schools operate? beyond this?
0: That's such a good question. So I'm, I'm not a parent. Um, I'm also not a teacher. Um, so I don't really, I don't know firsthand. I, I don't really know. And and I think I would actually send to not just how schools are going to operate, but just how businesses are going to operate, which is on one end, you know, I think we're all going to be incredibly excited to not have to work from our living rooms or our bedrooms, but I do think in general, the idea of working from home and being more flexible on where I physically am when I'm working or learning, I think we're going to come back to it with, I think, a bit more flexibility around it. So the idea that could our kids learn from home as opposed to going into the classroom? Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of like privilege and and different economic factors around that. But I do think this is going to accelerate a lot of the online educational supports. Agreed. Um, but my hope, my honestly, my my hope, uh, and this is coming from one of the this education advisors that uh, is it, we're a big fan of his, and and he's been such a good supporter is Pasi Salberg, um, and so he he's an incredible thought leader on the Finnish education system, uh, but he talks so much about the importance of play in children's development, and so part of me hopes that the solution or the takeaway from this isn't just kids learning online, but it's also the idea of like, it's maybe okay if they're just in the backyard playing for a few extra, you know, a bit of extra time and that they do get to focus more on relationship building, emotional intelligence and play. Uh, Selfishly, I'm really hoping that that somehow shows up. I have no idea what that would look like going back into the classroom, Um, but I'm hoping that there is a pause for everyone, including kids, where they get to just kind of be kids.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, And you said earlier the uh idea that, you know, growth is not sustainable. And I know that you were talking about that idea in the context of startups. On that idea about sustainability and uh, startup growth, did you feel like 21 Toys was in this mode of hyper growth to the point that it wasn't sustainable? And is that how you're looking at it?
0: So I think for me... It's so interesting, and we talk about this actually in our failure toy workshops. Which is, if we're talking about failure, then we're talking about success. What does success looks like? Look like? I do think the the quote unquote startup world, so the one that is focused on organizations like we work, which is a good example of just this idea of like VC funding and unicorns. Um, this idea that there's that the measure of success of a business is you launch a business. You get a huge amount of users, usually use some sort of a freemium model, and then in five years you sell it for a huge profit, was definitely the version of startup success that I was exposed to right at the early stages of 21 Toys, even before it was called that. I was in a startup accelerator in Finland, actually called Startup Sauna. For better or worse, uh, I was completely unaware of, I mean, I had a hunch, but I was very unaware of just the statistics that are about like that go around female founders. So I was essentially going, okay, I'm trying to start an empathy toy startup where I'm selling. Initially, it was into schools only. I wasn't necessarily considering corporate as much. So I just I took myself out of that. I was like, well, this isn't a unicorn. I'm not getting VC funding. I don't need to be in a room of you know venture capitalists in these nice suits going, hi, I have zero assets. I'm, you know, I'm a, an immigrant and I'm children. i like, my, my parents are like, I have no financial, you know, no huge assets. And also I'm trying to launch an empathy toy company to, to sell them to schools. So I just thought, well, I'm not going that route.
1: And statistics you were referring to um, as female founders, just the odds of you being yeah. funded being lower? Just to clarify.
0: Yeah, less, yeah, less, less than 4% um, of uh, companies, startups that are funded I think even just have a woman on the founding team, let alone our female, and then a single a single founder, and then I'm a single female founder, and I had no business acumen, like I'm not coming, yeah, it, it's, it, I kind of decided I wasn't going to go that route, and then years later found out how that was a really good idea, because beyond that, just the, the statistical, like the likelihood of me being funded was just so low. Um, So I think that's been one of the best gifts of how I've built the business, which is, I've always built it as a designer, which is instead of convincing a smaller group of people that this will work, I went straight to the source. So the way I built my business was um, I got like a $1,200 artist grant. I built a website and got eight prototypes made. And then I just snuck into or volunteered my way into uh, different educational conferences where I spoke directly to teachers with my prototypes And that led to my first order. So a school board heard about me from another education consultant I'd met at a a conference. They watched a TEDx talk I'd given on the empathy toy, and they put in an order that was five figures based on, on a TED talk and a prototype. So that, to me, told me, okay, I think schools want this. I think teachers want this. So that's how I've always funded it. The way that we've grown has if you, if I were to tar- talk to a VC or the typical startup community, it's been very slow. But if you look at our numbers and like how we've grown, it's considered very successful. So we won about 17 awards around innovation, and we're in 52 countries. And the impact that we're getting, we, we got an honor from the mayor of Winnipeg. Our, our Empty Toys started a leadership program that reduced bullying and, and conflict in a school by 85% and we were given this honor from the mayor of Winnipeg and we were able to meet the students that led that that program. So for me, our measure of success and growth is really, really positive. Um, But if I were to sit in a room with a VC, I don't think they would see it that same way. So at this moment in time, looking at COVID, I think that I'm so grateful of the way that we've built, that I've built the business with my team is that it's always been community first, with community and product first, very little of our success is built on projections or valuations. It's built on very real sales and very real customers and communities and and impact. So that's allowed us to actually be just a lot more agile. Um, And it's also meant that I have kept the whole team on. So even through COVID, we have found a way that we're gonna be able to keep keep the team as is um, with this new pivot.
1: Yeah. And I I would say that, you know, as perhaps unpopular your bootstrapping approach was before this, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I think you'll see a lot more uh, startups and quote unquote startup success stem from those businesses that are built on classic business fundamentals.
0: And I think that the growth at all costs, for me, I've seen that just, I've seen that just in such a negative light, even yeah, before all this, which was we completely ignore the mental health of the founder. We ignore the impact on the team of just this obsession with hypergrowth. And I'm not really set up to take that big of a risk on something that I haven't at least somewhat proven. So that's just worked really well for my personality. But I also think it's allowed me to invent more things that I know work as opposed to if if we were obsessed with growth, the team would be triple the size. At least we would have launched all these online versions of um, training and, and things that would have potentially made it easier for us to navigate this new like online world. But I think the risk that we would have taken in trying to launch that so quickly is that what I've seen so many times with so many entrepreneurs is you're so exhausted with delivering on the product that you end up designing a business that is in no way in harmony with the life that you want, or the life that you want for your team, and you can sometimes end up in this machine of these spinning wheels that you actually can't really get out of, and it's it feels a lot more jarring to suddenly stop and restructure. So, yeah.
1: I guess that's why drugs and alcohol become so popular for so many of these CEOs. <laughs> um,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. So you ret- you've retained all your staff um uh, so far through this um but you know obviously you're experiencing a business impact with the loss of in-person training and in-person workshops uh, at least for now with not necessarily an end in sight how do you think about financing this period
0: yeah so the nuts and bolts of it i would say we lost between 90 to 95% of our revenue in 72 hours so wow Yeah. So I sounded, I'm in a good place now because it's mid April, but definitely, you know, that week of March 17th. Um, yeah, it was a lot of crying. You know, it was really overwhelming. Just the idea of the grief of the loss of just how much work went into that. Um, and also in deals that we'd already closed, that we were preparing to start delivering that suddenly got, you know, canceled slash postponed. And I think one of the reasons why we were able to keep keep the team. And it, it, it took me a few weeks to figure that out. A huge part of it has actually just been the the support from the, the government support. So uh, knock on wood, we're able to keep everyone because of that 75% wage subsidy. It was just a very strange and overwhelming week. We might lose everything to, oh, we actually might be able to really help right now without having to reinvent the wheel, just making a few alter, like iterations or alterations on our our delivery. So The decision I made was because of that and also just how much work and how amazing my team is was I'm just going to we're just going to lose a ton of money in March and I want to keep the team on to figure out how I can maintain this. So March essentially to me was just a huge question mark. And just I just came I just sat with it and said, okay, I'm just we're just going to I'm just going to swallow it. I'm just going to lose, you know, March (laughs) with the idea that we might be able to start rebuilding things in May. And then the math of with a 75 percent wage subsidy also loan repayments stopping, like, like a lot of the, the loans and, and taxes so being able to defer things, um, made it an easier, uh, decision that we could kind of continue with the team. And now with a few, a few changes to just how we're structuring like our work days, um, yeah, I'm going off of the assumption that we're able to, we're going to be able to keep everybody knock on wood going forward. But the other measure of success for me was, I don't want to save us by burning everyone out. Like this is literally like, I and I didn't come up with the term, the great pause. I've, I read that. But this idea of the great pause is, can we get that? Like I would, we've been so busy the last few years running, forever years running the business. What if we paused and reflected and and had that that time too? So that's the next step. That's what I'm hoping to do, which is, okay, we know what our our runway is. We know what our monthly costs are with keeping everyone on what does it look like for nothing, no sales to come in for a few months, or what does it look like for no sales come in for a few weeks? But what can we spend this time on? And what it looks like, and it's only been you know, two weeks, two, three weeks of it, uh, it actually looks like we're gonna be quite busy with de- delivering online empathy toy workshops. I believe that we're gonna get out of this, but I want us to get out of this a, a stronger, more resilient, more empathic team as well.
1: That's great perspective. I think that's a great great I mean, place to wrap you up.
0: Next week, that's that's my yeah, that's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's well, one,
1: one day at a time, right? Okay. Is there anything I know we're we're just we're over time. Sorry about that. Um, really enjoyed our conversation. In, in the last few minutes, um, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to cover?
0: I don't think so. Your your questions are were great. I mean, I think the the only thing I would add was My initial amygdala like fear when everything hit was, okay, it's over, (laughs) this is it. Everything is crashing down and I let myself go into that, you know, grief. And I think the importance of pausing and resting, and I've seen this time and again, not just right now with with COVID, but like my, I I like to say, I was like, I kind of feel like we've had, I've had versions of this and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have had crises. This one is, is quite substantial. But we've all experienced crises through building our businesses. We've had moments of like, this isn't going to work. Oh, my God. And one of the most incredible things that I always have to relearn is stop, pause, reach out to your community, and be kind to yourself. Those three things have always been the lessons that I need to remind myself, which is you don't have to fix everything in the next 24 hours. Every Other people have dealt with this or are dealing with this, and you absolutely should reach out to them both the, they can help you, but you can actually be of service to other people as well. You can also provide them with support, even if it's just emotional. And this idea of just resting, if you can, resting is work. <laughs> and I think that those those three things have just really guided me just on my own entrepreneurial journey. And I think I learned that as a creative because it, it that also applies to the, the creative process.
1: Well, it's a great message for those that are stopping and taking a pause. Uh, they can reach out to you at 21toys.ca. And where else can they find you?
0: Um, yeah, so I you can do, uh, you can look up 21toys on any of our social media. So at 21toys. You can also find me. I'm, I think I'm the only person with my name. So Alana, I-L-A-N-A. My last name is two boys' names. So Ben-Ari. hyphen And I used to do, and I'm thinking of once... I have a bit more headspace. Uh, About once every month or every two months, I do something called coffee talks, which is an hour. It's private. I usually have a group of maybe five, max, maybe 10 people. And it's usually designers, entrepreneurs who can kind of ask me anything. So while I definitely don't have the answers to anything, I've found that that's, I call it coffee talks, Uh, but it's a really lovely way for need to connect with other designers and entrepreneurs if they have questions about my design process or how i've kind of made different business strategies um but yeah those are the best ways to to get in touch
1: so amazing thanks Alana. this has been great um really appreciate you taking the time and uh all the best as you navigate these waters
0: thank you and you too
1: okay we'll talk to you soon Electric, acid. Electric acid. Introducing the deep leadership podcast. Subscribe today. Electric acid.